Welcome to Reinventing You, a podcast of the Reinvention Collaborative, a Boyer-inspired national consortium of research universities dedicated to innovation and excellence in undergraduate education. We're recording Reinventing You to bring you cutting-edge perspectives from experts in undergraduate education on issues impacting students, faculty, administrators, policymakers, anyone with a stake in undergraduate higher ed. We're your hosts, Steve Dandino and Liz Mock, Coming to you from the Reinvention Collaborative Home Office at Colorado State University, Fort Collins, Colorado. Today's guest is Charlie Nutt, the Executive Director of NACADA, the Global Community for Academic Advising, who is joining us today from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So what's going on in Albuquerque, Charlie? This is the um, 16th annual NACADA Academic Advising Assessment Institute that's going on um, for the next three days, and we've got about 125 people from across the world who are here learning about how to assess academic advising and hopefully go back and put action plans into place on their campuses. Well, that sounds like a great event, and you have another event coming up right after that, right? We have two more. We have a seminar on um, Sunday and Monday about collaborations across campuses, bringing together academic and student affairs toward the main goal of student success. And then we end the week with the Administrators Institute. Um, This is the 17th annual Administrators Institute. And um, for the past few years, we've been very happy to be co-sponsoring that with the Reinvention Collaborative. So we're looking forward to Steve being with us and um, Reinvention Collaborative's work in supporting that event. And we're very glad to be a part of that event. And I know that Steve and Beth Loazzo from Boston University and Amy Burkert from Carnegie Mellon have really enjoyed being faculty members at the Administrators Institute. So could you begin with a little background on yourself in Nakata? So how did your career path bring you to Nakata? Um, I was working um, as an English faculty member at a community college in southeast Georgia. Um, started there in 1987, and we had a SACS accreditation visit um, shortly after I got there, and the accrediting body gave us 14 recommendations, and Of those, all of them dealt with academic advising and student success issues. And so for some reason, my president at the time was brand new, and she thought I could fix advising. I'm not sure why she did, but she thought I could. I was a faculty member. We were a total faculty model. And I found out about Nakata quite by accident and got connected with the association. I took the very first group of faculty from what was then Brunswick College. It's now Coastal Georgia Community College. Um, But took that first group of nine faculty to a conference in Birmingham, Alabama in 1991, and have been involved ever since. 
And for those that are unfamiliar with Nakata, um, could you tell us about its mission, how many members you have, and what you think are Nakata's most significant contributions? Absolutely. Um, Nakata is the Global Community for Academic Advising. Um, we used to be known as the National Academic Advising Association, but um, several years ago we reached out globally um, because we recognize that student success is an issue across the globe. Really doesn't matter where you're located or what type of institution, the issues are the same. Um, we're getting ready to hold our I believe it is eighth international conference in Belgium this coming July. But we've got about just um, over 15,400 members across the world. And our mission is truly focusing on student success and focusing on what are the roles that academic advisors, whether they be faculty, whether they may they be primary role advisors, whether they be um, administrators, uh, our, our um, membership is probably one of the widest, I think, in higher education because academic advising is done so differently at so many different institutions. So our membership rec um, has presidents, has chancellors, deans, faculty, primary role advisors, administrators, pretty much the whole gamut because academic advising touches so many parts of a campus. So our true mission is really focused on student success through the role academic advising plays in that. Could we dig into that just a little bit more, Charlie? What is sure. the role? What is the role that academic advising plays currently? What should it be? And you know, what, what are the challenges uh, that's preventing us from getting to that better place where we want to get to? Um, the role, I think, is, is research indicates, as um, literature indicates, the role of academic advising is being that contact for the student on the campus, being that one person that that student knows they can connect with, um, teaching students how to be successful in college. What are those things that they need to know, being sure that they, you know, they know all the basic information and, and policies and procedures and, and all of those things, but really being that connecting point. There was an article recently in the Chronicle that I'm sure many of you saw that said that students say they learn best from people they love and they know love them. And I thought it was a really interesting article because it truly does point out that it's the relationship that matters. And so that relationship between an advisor and a student is key to whether that student remains enrolled and then ultimately completes. I think the challenges we face, Steve, is the fact that, number one, the, the it was a challenge and a, and a strength. The the strength and challenge both is there are so many different models for advising so that it is very difficult often for a student to always understand exactly who to connect with. And that's the campus's or the institution's responsibility to make that clear to students. Um, I think the other key challenge is it is not and has never been but we've always had a, a conflict with the fact that that it touches both academic and 
student affairs sides of house or instructional and student affairs. And we know without a doubt that there are on many campuses, those brick walls or block walls or fences or whatever you want to call them between those two entities on a campus. And so bringing together both the academic and the student affairs side toward focus on the student success is probably the biggest challenge that academic advising has in being seen as more than just a scheduling or registration activity. And when it's seen as just that, then students learn nothing from it. When it's seen as a teaching and learning experience, and it's a collaborative partnership in which the entire campus is involved, then it makes a huge difference in students' lives. So, Charlie, you've helped Nakata grow considerably over the years. What words of wisdom can you share about leadership in higher ed? What do we need to do as leaders to reach goals that we all say we want to reach? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would say I, I helped Nakata grow. I think I've been fortunate to work with a lot of very um, amazing people over my career. Um, but I will respond to the leadership piece. Um, I think a key aspect of leadership in, in higher ed, whether we're in a, an association or whether we're on a campus, has to be honesty. It has to be sincerity. It has to truly be focused on collaboration and not competition. A college campus, regardless of how complex it is or as simple as it is in structure, has to be totally built upon collaboration. And unfortunately, in higher ed, we still have a great deal of competition between colleges, between units, between areas, between states, between systems, whatever the case may be. And and I firmly believe that when you're focused on competing and not collaborating, or collaborating, it's the student who gets lost. It's not the it's not the institution. It's not you. It's not the the person who won of the person who lost, it's the student, because we can't do it alone. Faculty cannot by themselves ensure students are successful in their classroom or in their degree or in their completion of whatever the program may be. Academic advisors cannot in their, by themselves ensure that students are successful. It takes a collaboration across the campus and the leadership has to begin that collaborative culture. So we're really talking about shifting a culture away from a competitiveness to a collaborative focus. And as leaders in higher education today, we find that often we don't see that true collaboration. Um, It's easy to talk about. It's more difficult to achieve. Um, It's much quicker and faster to put in new initiatives that are created without a collaborative um, culture built around it and see if they work than it is to truly change a campus to be a collaborative environment in which students live, 
succeed, work together, and work with each other. So true leadership in higher education, I will always believe, is based upon collaboration, on um, partnerships, on a caring attitude, and on a belief that everyone on campus matters and that it is essential that we bring together the entire campus community to talk about student success and not simply give lip service to that concept. Well, I think we definitely appreciate the importance of collaboration and having that collaborative culture and um, not just on the campus, but by bringing people together from all over the country and as Nakata is globally to make sure that we're serving our students, sharing best practices and um, giving those students the best experiences that they can have. One thing I'd add there, Liz, is that there's no way a campus can be a Boyer-inspired national consortium or a Boyer-inspired campus without collaboration. And if if people truly, truly believe in um, what Boyer said, and I know you do and I know your group does, um, he was built on, I mean, everything he talked about was collaboration. And that's why I'm so impressed with the Reinvention Collaborative, always have been, and been so thrilled to have the opportunity to partner with um, that is your association because of that connection to Boyer and what he really talked about, that learning is a collaborative social activity and we have to do it together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so we haven't squarely addressed it yet. You talked a little bit about it, but achievement gaps and social inequality are significant issues that our institutions are facing. So what role do you think the advising community plays in addressing this set of issues? I think you're exactly right. Achievement gap, gaps and equity gaps, I think, are, are the, one of the biggest challenges higher education is facing today. Um, we we focused a great deal on access and getting people in the door, but we've not done enough to deal with those gaps that they brought with them. Um, I, I'm quoted a lot by saying, and I firmly believe, we've got to quit talking about students at risk and talk about the risk factors that they face and how do we deal with those and to recognize that it is really not talking about changing the student, but changing the institution's culture to deal with those achievement gaps or those equity gaps. I think academic advising is key to that culture because obviously for most students, that's their first contact with any representative of the campus. And if that very first contact that student in any way feels that their lack of achievement or that they're being a different color or a different sexual identity or different ethnic background, whatever the case may be, has any type of bearing on their success, then obviously they're not going to ever feel welcomed or at home at that institution. So 
advising is key in working with the faculty and working with the rest of student services to ensure that our campuses are a welcoming place for all. They're a place in which student success is focused upon for all of our students and recognizing that the institution has a huge responsibility in ensuring that they're doing curriculum revision, that they're doing focusing on what their gateway courses may look like, in building a partnership with between the academic and the student affairs side of the house, um, wherever um, academic, academic advising may fall, to be able to, to speak as one voice to those students. I think one of the problems we have with academic and achievement gaps and, and equity gaps is students clearly are a lot smarter than than anyone ever gives them credit for. They recognize sincerity immediately, and they recognize when someone is just saying the right words, but their heart's not there. And they recognize when an entire campus has a great motto or a great um, new um, theme that they're using to try to bring in students, but when they get to that campus, that that campus by no means is live by no means is living that true vision of what a welcoming, inviting, and supporting campus looks like. So advising plays a key role in it, but it cannot do it alone. It's one part of a campus's courtship toward that. You know, Charlie, this is so important. I just wanted to follow up. Uh, Nakata can be a resource for folks, right? Absolutely. I mean, you have publications. What other kinds of materials or resources might a campus that was trying to take very seriously this issue that you're describing, uh, what, what could they uh, seek from Nakata that could help them move forward? Well, you know, we have obviously, Steve, the, the, the many professional development events. We have the, the, the Assessment Institute, Administrators Institute, the Summer Institute. We have, you know, 10 region conferences. We have the annual conference every October. We have the, the, the international conference. We have a multitude of, of, of web um, events. We have, uh, multitude of, of publications. But, you know, one of the things that, or several of the things that I think Nakata provides that supports all of that is we've tried to clearly define what the competencies are for academic advising that focus on clearly how do we achieve working with those students who have achievement gaps? How do we change our campuses to be equity-based and not just um, say that word? We clearly have developed a set of core competencies that, that focus on more than anything else, the concept of caringness, of, of knowing who students are, knowing who the campus is, knowing who you are as an advisor. We have the concept of advising that clearly points out that, that advising is a learning, a teaching and learning um, experience. And then um, our, our 
relatively new nine conditions of excellence as part of our partnership with the John Gardner Institute on the Excellence in Academic Advising um, program. All of those foundational pieces, I think, bring to light the various events, the various activities that we have, but they get at the foundation. They're what we call our core pillars of of academic advising. Because if you don't know what advising is, if you don't know what advising looks like, if you don't know what quality advising does for your campus, then you're never ever going to really be able to, in my opinion, learn a great deal from all of our events of all of our activities that we may have. You got to first begin at home and you got to first begin by truly defining the roles for advisors on your campus. Um, you know, you work at a, a you and Liz are at a, a land grant institution as as K-State is, you know, I say all the time, you know, if you go to the dictionary and look up um, decentralization, you probably see land-grant colleges, there's the picture. You know, no one's more decentralized than a land-grant campus, but that doesn't mean that we can't have a clear understanding mission values that we all understand and buy into, and that we define clearly What's the role of a primary role advisor? What's the role of a faculty advisor? What's the role of a peer advisor? And what's the student's role in advising? And building upon those competencies, building upon the core values, um, building upon the, the, the concept of advising, building upon the, the um, nine conditions of excellence, utilizing the CAS standards for advising on a campus, these are all ways that NACADA can support institutions to then allow their members to gain as much as they can from our events, from our publications, from our webcasts, and hopefully take back to campus um, what they've learned in order to implement new things on their campuses. Um, you both know that, that I'm a strong believer in higher education has worked in isolation for too long and we've worked as, as separate little islands and and that I'm a firm believer that we must begin to partner together with other associations such as Reinvention Collaborative and and ASCU and APLU and NASPA and the, and the Gardner Institute because for too many years We've even worked in silos. So we need to come together because all of our campus constituencies have their own professional association they feel their allegiance to. If we're not all working together to send the same message back home with the members who come to our meetings, then they're going back home with entirely different messages. And we need to work more closely to make sure that that happens. That when people come home from the Reinvention Collaborative and other folks come home from Nakata, they get together and they say, this is what we talked about. Well, that's exactly what we talked about at the Reinvention Collaborative. How can we work together now to bring this as a partnership on campus? And if we don't do that, then we're really failing higher education for the future. You know, I'm old. 
I'm 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 fortunate enough that I'm at the I'm at the end of my career. This is my 42nd year in higher education in education generally, and so you know when I talk about the future, and even when I talk about this the next decade, you know I know I'm not going to be around to see all of that occurring from, from a distance. Hopefully, sitting on the beach with a margarita somewhere, um, <laughs> um, but I. I do think that the future of higher education is not just dependent upon building a culture of collaboration and partnership on campuses, but it's also building that same community and culture of partnership and collaboration among our various associations, because we have so much impact on so many parts of a campus who are getting different messages from different associations. And so we've got to start working together more to, to in, ensure that community colleges, small liberal arts colleges, land-grant colleges, a massive online universities, colleges in the UK, colleges in China, universities in Japan, they're all getting the same message. And they're all getting the message that we're here for student success. Students are not numbers. They are, they are people who have feelings and have goals and dreams and aspirations. And if we don't begin to look past the numbers and look at those people, then we're never going to reach those numbers that focus on retention and completion. You, y'all know I firmly believe we must increase dramatically the graduation completion rates in higher education. But the people and the the collaboration among the people is what reaches those numbers. I've never known an institution anywhere in my life who said our goal is to create to increase our retention by 10%, but they did nothing in collaborative nature to make that occur and meet those numbers. The focus is improving the undergraduate experience. How do we do that? We work together to do that, and when the students have the best undergraduate experience possible, you will see your retention rates grow. You will see your completion rates grow. I mean, Vincent Tinto has been telling us that for years. Boyer told that, that for years. We need to start listening and putting into action what we know, but what is difficult to do. It's not easy. It's hard. You know, we didn't get into higher education because we thought it was easy. You know, I tell advisors and faculty all the time, if you got into higher education because you thought you were going to make money, you needed a better academic advisor. (laughs) Um, We're here because we care and we're here because we believe in our students, but we can't do it alone. And working together is how we must make this happen. That's long, much more than you really wanted me to say there, Steve. I'm sorry. No, that was... You know, uh, for our listeners, you're listening to a, a very seasoned, highly experienced higher ed professional, a scholar, a leader who's giving you the straight scoop. And I, I can hear people saying, right on, man, and here, here, all around the country and world. I wanted to ask you, Charlie, um, you know, because 
Nakata has been so ambitious more recently, I suppose, in, in traveling around the world and connecting with higher education systems and the folks doing academic advising work in different countries, as you pointed out, is there anything we should be learning here in the U.S. from our colleagues in other countries? Uh, I know you're sharing what we do uh, and think here, but how's the, um, you know, what's there to learn from our our, uh, good friends and colleagues around the world? It's really exciting to see some of the really great research that's going on um, across many of the institutions in China and in Japan, um, um, in in the UAE, in South Africa. Um, there's some great work that's coming out of the um, University of the Free State in South Africa. Um, they've recently done some really um, interesting publications and, and research out of that institution. Um, you know, Steve, having been at K-State and having helped be part of the committee that formed the Research Center for Academic Advising or Nakata Center for Research at K-State and the College of Education, my goal is to begin to become the, the um, clearinghouse for all of that research so we can begin to learn from each other and to begin to partner with other countries and other institutions about that type of research. Um, it's amazing. We tend to think that we're the only folks interested in first-generation students in anywhere. Um, one of the most fascinating sessions that I've heard recently on, on um, some really interesting re- uh, quality research about first-generation students is from a small um, research university in China. Um, and they follow a cohort of first-generation students from their very start at the university until their their end, but did a great deal of work with those students that they lost to find out why. And one of the things that they discovered is what we know is first-generation students don't know what university is about in their terminology, and that when we bring them in and pretend they do or treat them like they do, they're the ones who leave and they're the easiest ones to leave. Well, that sounds very simplistic and we all know that, but to see a university in China having followed a cohort for six years, but then actually going back into the communities to speak and talk to those students they lost and hear those students' voices, it was fascinating. And so the the international conference is a great place to hear what is going on at other universities. I won't say they're doing anything um, that we're not doing here um, in the state, Steve, but I would say that we don't know all that they're doing because we've not delved into it. And I'm very proud that Nakata has taken that initiative to delve into what's happening internationally so we can learn from our colleagues. So, Charlie, if you were king for a day, what are the not, changes you'd make? I'm not already king. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are, but... Okay, okay. King yes. <laughs> if you could make any changes to advising on the nation's campuses or globally, um, what would you? what changes would you make? Oh, my God, there's so much, Liz. Um, uh, 
I'm going to try to be brief and to the point. Y'all both know already that's not easy for me. I'm an English faculty member. We like to talk. Um, first and foremost, a campus would have a clear definition of what student success is and then what academic advising is that supports student success. I'm amazed the campuses I visit. I just visited a very, very large um, community college district um, and was shocked, I shouldn't have been, but was, that there is no comprehensive understood definition of what even student success is. So, you know, if we don't know what student success is, then how do we know what we're searching for and reaching for? So if I were king of a, for the day, one of the first things I would do is have every single campus spend a time together, bring together all their constituencies and just defining student success. What does that look like? Because it's more than your retention numbers. It's more than your graduation numbers. Um, it has to be, or higher education, is it, is it improving society? Um, we can have as many graduates as we want, and our society never improve. And so what is student success? And then next, what is academic advising? How does it relate to that? Define the roles for the advisors on campuses. Assess academic advising in terms of learning in terms of its effectiveness in building relationships with students, um, move away from simply satisfaction surveys. You know, students are like any other consumer in the world. We are happy when we get what we want. We're not happy if we don't get what we want. And so the satisfaction surveys tell us nothing about the real quality of the advising experience that the students had in that office. And then begin to have true, honest dialogue about the literature, involving advisors in the literature, in the research. Um, we've got to begin to change the culture of the advising profession and the advising community to recognize that if you, if we as a profession want to be seen as truly part of the academic mission, then we have to begin to act in that way, which means we need to be reading the literature. We need to be reading what's occurring on campuses, and then we need to become part of the writing, part of the research. And that's not something that's in every advisor's DNA. That's not what's in every faculty member's DNA. I, I'm a you know, I'm a, a, a first-generation student. I plan to teach English in high school for 30 years and retire. That was my goal. I, I somehow got into this wonderful roller coaster I'm in. But I can tell you, I searched long and hard to find a master's degree that did not require a thesis because I was petrified of research. And so one of the things we've got to do if I were king for a day is begin to make research an expectation for advisors, but teaching them how to do research, teaching them what research is, teaching them what action research is, and then teaching them how to partner with faculty to begin to build a research culture on campus around what helps us be successful, which also makes my last point 
if I were king for the day, and that would be to to begin to look seriously at the tenure and promotion process for faculty. We're never going to get where we want to be with the campus truly having a culture of success when faculty research into student success, into advising, into um, achievement gaps, into equity gaps is accepted and is respected by tenure and promotion committees. As long as that is seen as less than in research, then higher education is never going to reach the where we could be in truly being the changing force in society. We're in a world right now where education is not always valued, where um, it's easier to get by with great slogans about making things great and moving things forward without education. And we have to change that, but we have to change it by recognizing that quality research about why students are successful has to be respected on campuses by our academic um, side of the house, by our deans, by our promotion and tenure committees, and then partnerships with research across the, the institution has to become the norm, not the exception. Charlie, we're so appreciative of your time today. Does your highness have any final thoughts or were <laughs> there any questions that we've, we we neglected to ask that we ought to have? No, I think you you were right on target with your questions. I'm, I'm sure I was way overboard with my responses, um, but I, I, I appreciate this opportunity. I'm really very excited about this new activity and new venture that the Reinvention Collaborative is doing with these podcasts. We need these. We need to begin talking to each other. And what a great way to start doing that. Um, you know, we, we've got to get out of our, our little towers and our little fiefdoms and talk to everyone. And what a great opportunity with these podcasts. So I, I just applaud the Reinvention Collaborative, you and Liz, for beginning this. And um I'm so thankful to be one of the first people that you've asked to be a part of this. I'm quite honored. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Charlie. And thanks to our listeners. Thanks so much for listening to Reinventing You, a podcast of the Reinvention Collaborative. Many, many thanks to our distinguished guest and friend, Dr. Charlie Nutt, Executive Director of NACADA, the Global Community for Academic Advising. To learn more about NACADA, go to www.nakata.ksu.edu or just Google Nakata, that is N-A-C-A-D-A. And to learn more about the Reinvention Collaborative, check us out at reinventioncollaborative, all one word, dot org. RC members can listen to an extended version of this interview at the members section of this site. Thanks to my co-host, Steve. Thanks, Liz. And thanks to all our Reinventing You listeners.